Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. So we said that there's three things that are required in order to have a breakthrough. There has to be a barrier, right? Something blocking you, something stopping you, something that needs to be overcome or pushed through. We said that you have to actually push through it, break through it, or overcome it. Many of us know what's blocking us, what's stopping us, what's hindering us, but we haven't had any breakthrough. We haven't accomplished anything. We haven't gone beyond that yet. It's been there year after year after year. So if we're going to really have breakthrough, it's got to be done. It's got to be something in our past. And the last one we said is that you'll always be in a new physical state or status or have a mental understanding uh, because you find yourself somewhere that you have not been before. Once you get there, you realize I'm on the other side of the wall. I've broken through. Something's different. I'll never be the same. I see things differently. I feel differently. Uh, <clears throat> I've broken through. So... Last week, it was really important how we talked about uh, needing to break up before you break through. I, I appreciate uh, Vanessa's testimony. We literally get to see a breakup before there's going to be breakthrough, right? <laughs> Praise God for Naomi. I hope she applies that to her own life. No boyfriends ever. <laughs> so this breakup, though, we said is not a breakup physically in, in relationships, although that many times is part of it. We said that it's breaking up through uh, into the heavenly realm where you go out of death and into life. From being dead and unsaved to being saved and alive. You break through into this heavenly realm, this place where the Spirit of God dwells, where we can really begin to see these obstacles that are coming against us. What we see uh, in the earthly realm, it doesn't show really how deep the foundations of many of those things are, and it doesn't show how high it reaches into the heavenly realm uh, of these powers and principalities. We looked at Colossians chapter 2, verse two, 12. It said, this idea of us breaking up, being saved, breaking up into the heavenly realm says, uh, buried with him in baptism, in which we also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses and having wiped away or wiped out all the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. It says that we were dead, but we have broken up into life. The things that were, were stopping us, hindering us, pushing us down as we looked last week off the stage and literally into hell. It says he's taken all those things out of the way and nailed them to the cross in order to give us life. Then Ephesians 6.12 said, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
So last week when we looked at breakthrough, we really saw that it's very, very spiritual. It's taking place more often than not in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm. What we see in the physical is a small portion of what God is literally doing beneath the surface, or I should say maybe above in the heavenly realm in our lives. This morning, what I want to talk to you guys about is breakthrough with people. Say people. people. Wouldn't life be easy if it wasn't for other people? We always hear that. Church is great. It's just the people. Work is great. It's just the people that I work with. Family is great. It's just these other people that live in the house with me. <laughs> we need breakthrough with people, right? So we're going to look at that this morning in a general sense, but we're also going to look specifically at the area of our friendships, right? I deal with a lot of people in uh, many different aspects of, of my life, uh, but I've thought a lot lately about friendships in the last couple of weeks, some things I've been seeing, some things that I've been feeling and, uh, and even more than the last couple of weeks, the last few months, I've seen God challenge me in areas with certain friendships, and I've seen God do miracles in relationships and re restoration within friendships. It's been an interesting season uh, uh, in this particular area. I've also seen God giving breakthrough in relationships that I wouldn't consider friendships. There's a difference, right? You have true friendships, and then you have other relationships, Right? that I wouldn't necessarily classify as, hey, that's my friend, or we have a relationship that I would consider a friendship, uh, but there is some type of relationship. I've seen God even be able to bring breakthrough into different levels of relationship, right? So I think all of these relationships are important. They're unique. They have a certain uh, role in your life, and we need to consider all that, I think, this morning, and we can find blessing. Once you begin to identify the difference maybe between uh, just a regular relationship and how unique it is and special it can be versus some of your true friendships and other relationships, you can find peace. You can find clarity from the Lord. As we do this this morning, I want you to think about all the people in your life, all the different types of relationships that you have, uh, some of the short-term, long-term relationships, friendships, Right? Think about all that this morning and uh, think about how those relationships would benefit from a breakthrough. On Sunday, it's like this washing right, of all that nonsense away and getting back right with where I want to be with the Lord and reminded of what matters most. The thing is, not only is sin in this world that we walk through and the muck and the, and the nonsense and the drama in this world, but also in this world is where we have to build relationships. And build our friendships <clears throat> in the middle of such a difficult place uh, is where we have to try to cultivate really close and strong relationships. There's a statement that nobody really knows me but me. I would say that most people to some degree have either said that or feel that. Raise your hand if you've ever felt like nobody really knows you or understands you but you. Nobody really loves you or cares about you the way that you care about other people. None of you? All right, praise the Lord. <clears throat> At some time, though, we also realize that we desperately want to be known. We feel like nobody knows me but me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I love way better than people love me, but I want to be known. I want to be cared for. I want to be considered. I want to be loved the way that I love other people. What begins to happen to a lot of us when we fall in love with the Lord, when we come to know Jesus, is that you realize for the first time that somebody really knows you. Amen. 
like really, really knows you from the beginning. I know sometimes when you start a new friendship, some people don't like to get into new friendships because they don't want to explain their whole past about how they got to be who they are. It's like, look, I don't really have time to build a relationship with you because I've been through so much. It's going to take forever for you to understand. But with the Lord, when you get into a relationship, he knew you when you were, before you were formed in the womb. He knew you in the way that you used to think when you were a child. He knew you through your adolescence, and he knows you very, very well now. So you get into that relationship, and you're like, wow, somebody finally gets me. Somebody understands. Somebody wants to watch the same movie I want to watch. Somebody wants to eat the same place I want to eat. And it's very enticing. And what can begin to happen is that we, we start to separate ourselves from other people. We just love God, and we just want to be with God. And then eventually we separate ourselves even from the church, and we say, you know what? How many people do we know that say, I'm spiritual? I have a relationship with God, so I don't need the church. I don't need friends. I don't need all that stuff. I have this relationship where I get everything I've ever wanted, and I get it from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. The scripture is talking about the very thing I'm sharing with you guys, this idea of right now, I only know the Lord in part, but there's going to come a time where I'll know him the way that I'm known. I feel his presence. I feel uh, this idea of uh, my, in, my identity being shared, what I'm really thinking, what I'm really feeling. What happens to, to many of us, what happened to me is I realized that he knew me a lot better than I knew him. So then you want to engage in that relationship. You want to get to know him the way that he knows you. You want to be able to talk to him and talk about him the way that he talks to you and talks about you. So this separation begins to make sense, I think, for a lot of us. But if you look at Christ, right, he did not separate himself from people. He knew these people don't know me like I know them. He knows that he knows the Father and the Father knows him. But he didn't separate himself from people like we often separate ourselves from people. Somehow... Being, for Jesus, being known by the Father, being loved by the Father, did not make him withdraw from people. It made him press in and connect with people. How can that be true of us? How can we uh, be known by the Lord, but have that force us or encourage us to be known by others and to know other people? So that scripture I shared with you guys, it comes from the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, we always call it the love chapter in the Bible. I want to look at it, not just that verse, but a little bit of a wider lens. This is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. So the first seven verses talk about all the stuff that love is. Um, and then in verse 8, it says that love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they'll cease. Whether there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect, say perfect. perfect. Say perfect. perfect. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. But then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. What a great chapter. What a great portion of scripture. It starts off with this vanishing away of the things that are imperfect, like friendships and relationships. Again, you come into this relationship with God. You're like, man, all this stuff is vanishing. It's all kind of whacked. These people don't know me. I don't know them. God is real. That stuff is going to vanish away anyway, so it's okay if I separate myself. 
It's okay if I kind of walk away from some things or I leave some things behind. I leave some people behind. They didn't really care about me or love me anyway. Right? Then it goes into this coming of age, like our last series about stop behaving like a child. Many of us, when we come into relationship with God, that's the first thing that hopefully we begin to learn is that we've been very childish. The way that we think, the way that we behave. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I behaved like a child, but then I became a man and I put away childish things. What this is supposed to do is make you pump your brakes and say, listen, my way of thinking is not God's way of thinking. My way of understanding is not God's way of understanding. If I think this stuff is going to be a waste of time and these people are going to be a waste of time and these relationships aren't going to amount to anything, as a child, I can say, let's just put that away. But if I'm going to be a man of God or a woman of God, I have to say, man, maybe there's more to this. Maybe there's some work that's going to be involved in restoration, reconciling, growing, and changing, and having breakthrough in these relationships and friendships. Paul says, don't act like a child. Don't look at a situation and say, that's too much effort and too much work. I'm just going to go do something easier. I know a lot of, of young people right now that are refusing to go to school, don't want to finish high school, don't want to go into college, don't want to study anything because it's easier to be 17, 18, 20 years old and go work a minimum wage job somewhere. But please believe me, that's thinking as a child. When you're 25 and 30 and you've got a family to take care of, McDonald's ain't going to do it. Grow up. It goes on from there, it says, we shall know one day as we are known, right? So you get to that next progression of, listen, God knows me and I feel that and I'm rejoicing in that and one day I'm going to know him just like I'm known, but he says, until then, abide in faith, hope, and love, right? We're connecting the dots between your head in the clouds and your feet on the ground. What he's saying is, look, one day you're going to have that whole head in the clouds life where you're with me and I'm with you. You know me just like I know you and the other people who are there, you're going to know them and they're going to know you and everything's going to be beautiful. But until then, your feet are stuck on the ground. So you need to abide in faith, hope and love. You need to have faith in me that everything's going to be OK. You need to have hope in people that they're going to be able to change and grow. This is the biggest area, I think, of contention and, and stress and struggle for many of us is that we don't have a, a lot of hope for other people. We don't believe that people are going to grow and that people are going to change and people are going to love us like we love them. People are going to sacrifice for us like we feel like we're sacrificing for them. God says, hold out. Have some hope. Not blind hope. Right? Where somebody has proven they don't love you and they don't care about you and they ain't going to change. You're just like, I'm down anyway. It don't matter. Do what you want to do. Not blind hope and stupidity, but true godly hope for people to be able to grow. And then he says, love. Let love be the main characteristic that leads and guides your life. Love people. Care for people. Chief characteristic of our life. How many of you have had friends that basically say, we're friends as long as you do what I want you to do. Give me whatever I ask for, and don't bring up any of my shortcomings. Anybody got friends like that or have had friends like that? Oh, I love you. We're friends. We're tight. Just do whatever I want you to do. Go wherever I want you to go. Give me whatever I ask for. And then whenever I fall short, don't bring it up. Don't you hate when you have friends like that? As soon as you tell them that there's a problem, you ain't no real friend. Why are you always telling me what's wrong with me? The funny thing is that even with friends like that, we actually want to meet their needs. We actually want to love them. We want to give them what they want. We want them to be happy. We just want sometimes that they would do the same for us. Somebody say amen. amen. 
Make me happy every once in a while. Do what I ask you to do every once in a while. Let's make it mutual. See, I think as we grow in God, we should become better friends. Right? If you grow in a relationship with God, who's the ultimate friend, right? He's the greatest. You should, by default, become a better friend to other people. The way you treat people, the way you consider people, the way you talk to other people should begin to change. I remember there was a time when what it meant to be a friend is you just keep it real all the time. Say whatever you want to say. Tell them exactly the truth of how you feel every single moment of the day. But then when you get into a relationship with God, you realize that's, that's stupid. <laughs> that's not a reality. That's not how God treats people. That's not how God treats you. Could you imagine if God told you the exact truth about yourself every second of the day? <laughs> the, tr- the, the trouble is, as you grow with God and hopefully you become a better friend, you're also able to see more of the shortcomings of your friends. Does that make sense this morning? You're walking with God. He's showing you who he is and who you are. You're trying to become a better friend. You see your shortcomings and you say, you know, I'm going to change the way I talk to people. I'm going to change the way I treat people. I'm going to change my selfishness. But then at the very same time, you start to see all those characteristics loud and clear from these very people that you're trying to be a better friend to. All of their shortcomings all of their areas of of challenge. The reality is is that the people in our lives are not always trying to grow at the same time with God like you are. Wouldn't it be nice if you got saved and then everybody in the family got saved at the same time? Hey, let's do it together. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if like every coworker got saved at the same time? You gave your life to Jesus, you're gonna come to work the next day and just bless everybody and everybody's a Christian now? That's not the reality though. The same thing in your friendships. When you decide that you're going to love God and serve God and become a better friend, it's not like it was a group decision and everybody in the gang is like, I'm down too. Let's do it. It can be hard to grow as a friend if you feel like, and honestly, it may be the case that your friends and your family aren't necessarily growing as well. We have to look to Jesus as our example. Hebrews chapter 12, 2 says exactly that. It says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus went all the way to the cross, laid his life down for his friends, the Bible tells us. And these same friends wouldn't even acknowledge that they knew him while he was carrying the cross. And now you think about your friends, and I guarantee you that they ain't that bad. Well, maybe some of them are. (laughs) Maybe some of us are as friends. Listen to that. Jesus says that he endured the cross, he endured the shame. Uh, What does it say here? For the joy that was set before him. What's joyous about that? You go to the cross for these very friends who deny that they even know you. I think it's important at this point to tell you to choose your friends wisely. Choose your friends wisely. Some of it's not their fault. It's our fault for choosing them. (laughs) That's who they were when you chose them. That's who they've been since you chose them. Many of us have begun to find our best friends within the church. We've begun to find our friends amongst men and women of God that not only in this church, but all over the world, right? Friends that you are strongly connected with. Partly because we've realized that they're trying to do the same thing that we are, right? 
It's nice to have a friend that you know as you're trying to strive to be better and to do better and be more selfless that, hey, my friend is trying the same thing in their walk with God. They know that they've got some areas that they've got to work on and they're working on them. As opposed to, like I said before, where you have these other friends where you're, you're trying to stretch, you're trying to grow, and they're not. <clears throat> Choose wisely. I think Jesus made it all the way to the cross, not only because it had to happen for, for salvation, but I think he knew the friends that he chose and he understood their shortcomings. Right? He's like, man, I, I, I know these men, I know these women, and I knew their shortcomings before. It's not like it's a surprise to him while he's carrying the cross. He knows who he chose. I think many of us need to sit down for a little while and pray and think about who are the friends that you've chosen? What are their shortcomings? What are you willing to deal with? What are you willing to endure as you try to be the best friend that you can be? I don't think it's right for us to say, all right, I'm going to evaluate their shortcomings, and because of that shortcoming they have, I'm only going to give this much, or I'm only going to give that much. Jesus says in uh, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. See, I think we can get over on each other when it comes to our shortcomings, and we can put up a, a facade that, that presents ourselves better to people than we really are, but not with God. God knows exactly who you are, exactly what your shortcomings are, exactly what kind of friend you are, and he says, I still chose you. He's got, what does he have for us? He has hope, faith, hope, and love, hope that we change. I want you to listen to how Jesus talks about friendship and compare this to what you think a friend is or how a friend should act and what the relationship would be. This is John 15, 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Say friends. friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I've made known to you. Some interesting things I think the Lord has to say here. First in verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Friendship is about the joy of others. Say others. Others. I think too often we look at it as what we've learned it should be is it should be a mutual relationship. What can I get and what can they get? Jesus says, I've already got full joy and all I want is you to have joy. My whole relationship with you is about what I can give to you that you would have a fullness of joy. How many of you, if you're honest this morning, would say that when you look at your friendships, only thing you're concerned with is blessing them, giving them a fullness of joy? What do you want? What do you need? What need can I meet? What do I have that I can give unto you? Jesus says this is the standard for friendship. Amen. He says at least this is the standard that he lives by. Amen. The second thing he says is that you need to love one another as I have loved you. He says you need to be the example. I love in a way that I can just say do what I do. Love like I've loved you. Earlier I said, and many of us said, we want to be loved the way that we love others, but the reality is, is that we probably haven't reached the peak level of loving. We just think we're doing better than everybody else. How many of you think that you could truly be the example of what it means to be a loving friend? If everybody in this room said, I'm just going to do what she does. 
I'm just going to do what he does. Are you the example of loving others? He says, love people the way I love you. How does Jesus loves us? love us? Unconditionally. You did something yesterday that is unforgivable. And this morning he's there beside your bed like, hey, I love you. <laughs> you want to go to church? Want to go to my house? My house or your house? I'm just being reminded of what it was like when you were young. Remember when you, had, when you were young and you had your friends? You wake up Saturday morning, jump on the bike, you're, you're gone all day together. Stove top at their house, stove top at your house. Yeah. Watching TV. I remember one of my friends in high school, uh, junior high, high school. This was before iPods and, and digital songs. You know, we had tapes and, and CDs. We would go out and buy the same CD, and then we'd have our Walkman, and we'd push play at the same time because we both have our headphones on. You remember that? Like, we were down for each other. <laughs> Everything was together. <laughs> He says, love one another as I've loved you. There was that time when like your friends could do no wrong and you were, you were really forgiving, but that didn't last long, right? Remember you got to that point where it's like, nah, I hold grudges now. Jesus says, love the way I love you. Verse 13, he says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. I put in my notes, re-gifting at its best. You know how like you get something you don't want and then you give it away to somebody else at Christmas or whatever? It's called re-gifting. I would never do that. But I know some other people do. But this is true re-gifting. Jesus says, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. He actually calls them friends. And he says, you are my friends. That's why I went to the cross to lay my life down for you. He says, I want you to be like me. I say it's re-gifting because if you've received the gift of salvation and eternal life because of Jesus laying his life down, there's nothing you won't do for your friends. Like, what can you not give? Is, is money too much to give to your friends? Time? Stuff you own? Like, what, what could you not give after you've received life from Christ? I think about it all the time and how selfish I am compared to what I've received from God. It's just confession, confessional time right now. Might not look at me this way, but I know myself. How many of you guys know yourself? Somebody say amen. Good Lord. When I think of what God has given me and what in reality, where I draw the limit of what I'm willing to give, it just doesn't make sense. I should be laying down my life for my friends. A lot of times, you know what it is, is my, act my actual energy. There's times where like a friend needs me and I'll just say I'm too tired or I don't want to drive there or I was at work all day or I got to get ready for church. And he says, man, I lay down my life for my friends and you can't be a little tired and go somewhere. And then listen to what he says here. <clears throat> Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Didn't we just say that that sounds like some of our earthly friends that we can't stand? That you only want to be friends if you do what they want to do or do what they say? We'll come back to that one in a second. <laughs> the last one, verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. This is one of my favorite ones about the Lord. I put it as no ulterior motives. You have friends that have ulterior motives? Like, they'll ask you something, and you know that there's something else they really want. Or, they, or you know that you're just, you're just a link between where they started and where they ultimately want to go, and they just need you for this particular po portion. I had friends like that where we'd be hanging out. You ever have a friend you're hanging out, but you know they'd rather be somewhere else? 
<laughs> or you know that at some point they're going to be like, oh, I got to go because they're somewhere else, but you can't go with them. It's called ulterior motives. Something else that motivates, it makes us not trust one another. Amen. When you think that somebody's in relationship with you or asking you for something, but they have something else going on, it makes it very difficult. So think about what Jesus just laid out for us. You have a friend that has no ulterior motives, right? There's nothing hidden from you. He says, I told you everything, right? They're only concerned with your joy. I just want to make you as happy as you could possibly be and have that overflowing, right? They are willing to lay down their life for you. No matter what it is or how much it costs, they're willing to give it for you. That's the kind of friend that if they make a commandment or they have an expectation of you to do something, you should probably do it because it's in your best interest. Jesus says, that's what it's like to be my friend. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give you joy like you've never known before. I have no ulterior motives. It's just about you and you being happy. However, I do have some commandments because I'm God. The problem is that we don't know any friends like that that are willing to die for us, that only care about our joy and our happiness, right? And they have no ulterior motives. You name one. See, because we rarely enter into relationships like that with people, we're talking friendships, kids, marriages, coworkers, best friend, whatever it is, it's, it's rare, almost impossible to have a friend like that. Because it's so difficult, it also inhibits our relationship with God because we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to be the kind of friend he wants us to be. We don't even know how to receive the kind of friend that he's offering himself to be. But we can have breakthrough. That's what this service is about. Amen? Amen. First Corinthians 2, 9 says, It is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Stop there. That's verse 15. A couple things I want to point out to you guys from this, this scripture. The first in verse 9, it says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I believe that there's something special in friendship according to the definition that God gives us that most people will never experience. Many of us have started to tap into certain friendships like that. If you've ever been around somebody and it's almost awkward when you realize that they're truly concerned about you. Like they're not thinking about themselves. It catches me by surprise and it's very convicting because it happens to me more now than it ever did in the past where you realize like man this person really cares about me that's what the Lord says here eye has not seen and ear has not heard or even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him when you enter into these kind of relationships there's special things that have been set aside for us second one God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of God 
In the first week, we, we talked about breaking up into this spiritual realm, right? These things that God is doing, this breakup. This week, we're talking about coming together in true friendship, and it's spiritual. If your friendships are not spiritual, they're not on the same level or in the same realm that God is talking about. He says it's a spiritual thing that's taking place. God is searching your spirit. He's searching the other person's spirit. He's bringing you guys together on a spiritual level. And actually, it's, it's hard for me now to, with some of my regular or old friendships, because I'm used to being in relationships now and friendships with people who are spiritual, people who are talking to God, people who are praying. Right? So when I'm talking to people and there's no spirituality there, it's just the normal everyday life stuff, it's not nearly as deep in those friendships. Verse 11 said, What man knows the things of a man except the spirit of, of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And we've received this, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. This spiritual awakening on, on uh, Wednesday, I think we talked about this as well, the idea that you're the only one who really knows you. You know your heart. You know what's going on inside of you. You have this facade and a way of talking to people and interacting with people, but you know the truth about yourself. You can make people think that you're great. You can make people think that you care, but inside you know that you're not and that you don't. I'm convicted by what I see in some of my godly friends when I compare that to what I know is inside of me. Does that happen to anybody else? Like you're in a relationship and it's a friendship. It's a godly friendship. Right? And you know that the Lord is alive inside of that person. So when they say something or they do something or they offer something or, or, you, or you engage in some type of moment of, of relationship and you recognize what the Spirit of God has done inside that person and then you know it's not in you yet, <laughs> it's such a convicting feeling. Last week, we, we, uh, we've been telling you guys about a friend of ours who this week, it'll be three weeks um, if she doesn't wake up uh, today or tomorrow, on Tuesday will be three weeks that uh, she had a seizure and she's been in a coma, right? And we've been talking, we've been praying, we've been going to the, to the hospital, doing all kinds of stuff. And then one of our friends said, hey, I think we need to fast. And it was, it was Sunday. We were in the middle of Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday grubbing. We were, we, were, we were grubbing vegan style, but we were grubbing. And so the person hits us with, hey, I just feel like we need to fast. And I felt like, man, God is doing something in that person. And I see it. What they're saying is, hey, if we call ourselves friends of God, if we call ourselves friends of this person, we need to go beyond the easy thing, which might be hard for some, but to physically go to the hospital. We've got to go beyond the easy thing of, hey, let's lift up our prayers to God right now. Let's fast and pray. The Bible says, hey, some of these don't come out but by fasting and praying. I feel like we've got to take it to another level. I'm like, dang, man, what's in you is not in me but you make me want to be a better friend. And we're talking about a third friend. And the reality is that third person that's going through this, I'm a better and closer and more long-term friend with that person than the other friend who's telling me I should be fasting for them and who's willing to fast for them. I'm trying to tell you that this thing is spiritual. If you're on the earthly realm and your friendships, you're missing it. Last portion of that scripture says, these are words which man's wisdom teaches, not words which man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. 
their foolishness to him, nor can, they, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by nobody or by no one. When you talk about the things of God, you need to be talking with spiritual men and women of God. The natural man doesn't get it. How many of you can look back to when you were unsaved and you just didn't understand anything about God? Anything about the spirit of God, anything about his church, his bride, salvation, the cross, nothing. Yet these are the people that we want to talk to about our other relationships and our friendships. I like the idea that my friends are wrestling with God to become better friends. Remember that faith, hope, love thing? I have a lot of hope for people, especially people who know God, because they're not going to be the same person tomorrow that they are today. They're not going to be the same person six months from now that they are today. People get so angry with me. I've been pastoring for almost 10 years, and I'm not the best pastor now, and I definitely wasn't the best pastor 10 years ago. But here's what I knew when I started. I'm not going to be the same person in year two that I was in one, or year 10 that I was in five, or year 20 that I am at 10. You just got to endure and have some dang hope. <laughs> that's not a surprise to me. That's how I pastor, but that's also how I friend. When I look at people, look, dude, you just got saved. I don't expect you to be today who you're going to be 10 years from now, and I have hope for you. I love the fact that my friends, because they're not the best and I'm not the best, but all of us are trying to be better. We wrestle with God to make us better men and women of God. I like the fact that we can evaluate without judging. When I look at people, I'll be honest with you, I'm evaluating you. I look at how you look. I look at how you live. I look at the decisions you make. I look at what you do with your life, and I'm evaluating. That doesn't mean that I have to judge you, because that's what I'm going to do with my friends, and that's what my friends are going to do with me. They look at how I live, and then they evaluate. Where is Vaughn? <laughs> they might not like where it is, but they don't have to judge. You know what the difference is with my friends when we do that? We evaluate so that we know what area we need to be praying in for each other. See, in the world, you look and you evaluate, but you do it to judge and to get a step up and to say how these people need to be better friends to you. In the church, you say, Lord, show me so I can evaluate, so I can pray for that brother, so I can pray for that sister. Please pray for me in the areas that you evaluate and you see that I'm failing in. I like that even when we judge the world for what it lacks and the people in the world for what they lack, that we do it with self-reflection at the same time. Remember, not only did we used to be there, but we ain't perfect. We're just saved now. When I look at the world, I look at the people who are lost that don't know Jesus, who have not been forgiven of their sins. I can see it really clearly because I used to be there. And then I say to myself, well, what other areas in my life? Some of those things are gone. I've been delivered, and they're, they're so far gone, I'll never see them again. But there's other things that are still alive in my life that need to change. So I want to close. I'm going to give you seven encouragements on how you can be a better friend, how you can choose better friends, how you can have breakthrough in the area of friendships um, <clears throat> that I think will help all of us. Before I do, though, synergy. Understand this, synergy. If you don't know what it is, I'm going to give you a definition. Synergy is the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents like people to produce a combined effect that is greater than the sum of their separate effects. What that means is synergy is, is 2 plus 2 equals 4 
That's the sum of 2 and 2, right? You get 4. Synergy means 2 plus 2 equals 10 or 2 plus 2 equals 100. You get a synergistic effect. It's not just the addition. You don't bring two people together and all of a sudden, um, or 2 plus 2 and you get 4. 2 plus 2 and it has a synergistic effect. Compound, power, dudamis, all that kind of stuff. So think about this. If you take all the emotionalness of one person and you add that to all the emotionalness of another person, think about how much emotionalness that really is. In a marriage, we see that a lot of times, right? You take two crazy people and you think, man, you got a crazy couple. But the craziness can be synergistic. <laughs> on how crazy these two people are. Now think about that with your, you as a person and all your friends. You're drama and you know it. You got issues and you know it. You got, personal, you got a personality that's hard to love sometimes and you know it. Amen. And think about this, everybody's like that. So it's not gonna be easy to be in relationship. It's not gonna be easy to be in friendships. It has a synergistic effect that without God, it's hopeless. It's hopeless to have lasting friendships. It's hopeless to have lasting relationships. It's hopeless to get through a, another week or another month at your job without being depressed. But God doesn't want us to live that way. Amen. So here's the first one. Proverbs 18.24. They should come up for you. If you want to take notes, you can write them down. But Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. So number one is focus way more on the friend that you are than the friends that others are to you. <laughs> you want to have better friendships? You want to have better relationships? You want to have breakthrough? If you want people to be friends, you got to be friendly. Stop thinking about who's doing you wrong and where they're falling short and what their problems are and start thinking about yourself. Are you friendly? Are you caring? Are you selfless? Are you forgiving? Focus on yourself. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend, right? This Tuesday, the men are going to be getting together, men's fellowship and Bible study. We're going to five guys like you saw it come up earlier. We want to eat burgers. We want to eat fries. We want to do all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we want iron to sharpen iron, Amen. right? I had somebody call me yesterday who's going through crazy things in their marriage, crazy things. And he told me, Here's kind of what's going on, and, and I've got these other friends that we've been friends for, for years, for decades, and because of what's going on in my marriage, the, my friendships with these other guys, my other fellows are, are starting to be stressed and strained, and I told him, hey, listen, I understand, and, and I'm with you, and I'm going to be praying for you, and, and it is. It is a crazy situation. I said, but you might need to really figure out who the most important men in your life are. I said, those friends are cool, and if they've been around that long, they're probably going to be around. I've got friends like that as well. I said, but what I'm going to be doing on Tuesday with the men of God, I'm going to be hanging out with men who will hear the story that you just said, and they'll pray for you. Like, they'll actually care about your marriage. If they thought, I, I asked them, I said, can you imagine any of the men? I called a couple here by name, but I said, could you imagine any of the men that I run with knowing that they are causing some type of division between me and my wife and them not doing whatever it took to get out of the way? I said, that's what it means to have friends who are men of God who care more about me and my marriage than they do about themselves. I said, you got the wrong friends. You should be with us on Tuesday instead of calling me and asking me how to help you fix these problems with these other dudes. 
But that's not easy. Iron sharpening iron, when we go and have burgers, it's great. But when, one of the, when we talk about some of the things we got to talk about, it rubs some of the, the rough edges off of us. So Proverbs 27, 17 said, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. What you need to know is you have been sent by God to make other people better friends. These people have sharp edges. You've you got to grind those edges down and make them a better friend. But beware. God has sent them into your life to make you a better friend. You've got some sharp edges too that need to be ground down. Don't stray from that. Don't run from that. Don't tell people, stop telling me what's wrong with me. That's real love. When a brother can look at you that you know cares about you and say, hey, bro, you got to fix this. Hey, sis, stop acting like that. I think it's harder for women because you guys get all emotional. But I pray that every woman in here has another woman that can tell them, stop. <laughs> stop acting like that. Stop talking like that. Stop posting like that. Stop. They've been sent by God. You've been sent by God. Let's go on to number three. James 2.23 says that the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Abraham, all he did was just believe what God had to say. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You want to be a good friend to people? Make God your best friend. If God is your best friend, you'll be a much better friend to other people. How many of you guys remember what it was like to have a best friend and then have a bunch of other friends? At the end of the day, like you liked all those other people, but let's be real, you just cared more about your best friend, right? Don't act like I'm the only one. You all had a crew, but you knew who your best friend was. That would be the one that you'd call before you called the rest of the crew. Or that'd be the one where you talk to them and you'd say, hey, should we invite everybody? It's just going to be me and you. <laughs> Let's keep it real this morning. That, that principle does not need to go away. If you make God your best friend, the stuff that those other friends do won't stress you out so much. As long as you still got your best friend, you don't care if friend number 2, 4, or 17 did something stupid. When I'm tight with God, the stuff that you people do doesn't bother me very much. I'm serious. When God's like, I love you, and I'm there for you, and we're cool, and we're tight, and we're going to go do something. We're going to Disneyland, just me and you tomorrow. You guys can do whatever you want today. You want to be a better friend? Make sure God is your best friend. He's not friend 2, 17, or 30. He's number one, and everybody else falls in line. On from there. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Number four is you can't be in two gangs. You got to choose which crew you're running with. God says, look, if you're with me, you're with me. If you're not, you're with the enemy and we are not friends. We are not acquaintances. We are not going to be part-time lovers. Either you're with me or you're with the world. You can't have both. Amen. You want to be a good friend, decide what kind of friend you're going to be. You're going to be a man of God if you're going to be a woman of God, if you're going to make God first in your life, and that's how you're going to establish all the rest of your friendships, well, then God can do some things there. If you're going to be wishy-washy in one week, out the next week, a man of God or a woman of God this week, and then act a fool next week because of whatever this other person did, God's not down for that. You want to be a good friend? Choose which side you're on. Choose what kind of person you're going to be. Are you the kind that lays down their life for their friends, or are you the kind that wants what you want all the time? You can't have both. 
Moving on from four, Luke 6.38 says, with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Remember that if you are going to judge people, you're going to be judged. If you're going to hold people to the highest standard, please believe me, they're going to hold you to the highest standard every time you trip up. You can either be a lawyer or you can be a lover. What kind of friend are you? Are you a lawyer or a lover? You know the difference, right? A lawyer is you're in this relationship with this person and every time they do something wrong, you say, this is the law you broke. This is how you felt as a friend. This is how you felt as a mother. This is how you felt as a brother. This is how you felt as, as just a friend in any realm, right? I don't need another lawyer in my life. I need a lover, somebody who just loves me for who I am and has hope that I'm going to become something else. What kind of friend are you? Be honest with yourself this morning. Are you a lawyer or a lover? How many people do you have a broken relationship right now because you told them whatever law you felt like they broke when it comes to your friendship? You're a lawyer. You're not a lover. You're not a friend. You're a lawyer. <clears throat> what kind of friend do you want to be? I want to be a lover. They knew they broke the law already anyway, just like you know when you do it. Love on people. It'll get you a lot further. On from five. First Peter 4, 8 says... And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Love will cover a multitude of sin. Amen. When it comes to friendship, you can live competitively or you can live compassionately. Competitively or compassionately. When you're competing with your friends about who's a better friend, right? You're constantly drawing attention to their shortcomings. Right? So now you're back to that crew, right? And you're on the phone with one friend talking about how bad this other one is. You read something on Facebook and you call all your homegirls to tell them, did you see that? You're in competition with these people to see who's better and who's worse. What kind of friend are you this morning? Are you in competition with the other people around you? Or are you compassionate? Amen. It says, have fervent love for one another and love will cover a multitude of sins. Right? I've always struggled with that, with that uh, scripture because it almost paints this picture of, of trying to pretend as if you didn't sin. Let me cover that up. Let me pretend as if it didn't happen. But the picture that we should be looking at is um, uh, Noah. Is it Noah? Help me, Raymond. Lot. No, no, Noah. Um, uh, what's that? <laughs> See, you need a friend in the sound room, y'all. The scripture is the, the father gets, no, it's Lot. No, it's Noah. <laughs> Both of these brothers needed friends. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so I believe it's Noah. He, he gets uncovered because he gets drunk, right? And, and one of it, that's Noah. Lot, Lot, is, Lot got drunk and his daughters came in and, and, and did some stuff with him that they shouldn't have done. But Noah gets drunk and one of the kids comes in. He's like, look, dad's naked. But one of the other sons comes in with a, with a blanket and walks backwards, and he covers a multitude of sin. You see what I'm saying? If you're in competition, it's like, look at how far dad has fallen. Look at his sin. Let's expose him to everybody. But if you're, having a, if you're a friend of compassion, your love will literally cover a multitude of sins. That's the kind of friend I want, and that's the kind of friend I want to be. It's not as if the sin didn't take place. It's that I don't need to announce that to everybody. I need to help my brother here. I need to help my sister here. What are you doing on Facebook? 
You covering people, protecting them, calling it, hey, you got to take that down. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> or are you in competition? Did you see what they did? I'm so much better than they are. Last one, number seven. Matthew 18 from verse 23. We're going to close. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What a story. Last one, number seven, is are you a creditor or an ambassador? When it comes to your friendships, are you a creditor or an ambassador? A creditor reminds people of what they owe them. Don't you remember what I did for you? Don't you know what I've sacrificed for you? Don't you remember last time you asked me for something and I did it? I'm your creditor. You owe me. In this friendship, in this relationship, you owe me. An ambassador says, look, I'm here on behalf of the king, and he's the king of grace, and he's the king of mercy. I don't need to tell you what you owe me. I didn't, I didn't lend you anything. Anything I've ever given you, I've given it to you. I want to be an ambassador for Christ. The same way that he loved and forgave me, that's how I love and forgive my friends. He doesn't give us anything that we have to pay him back. It's all been free gifts that have been lavished upon us. That's the kind of friend he is to us. That's the kind of friend we need to be to others. Do you think honestly this morning you could tell your friends that they don't have to right any wrong that they've done to you? How many of you could leave out of this place and every single friend you have, they know that. And if they don't know that, you'd be willing to call them and say, hey, there's no debt here. There's no wrong that you've done that you need to right. There's nothing that I've given you that you need to repay. That's the kind of friend the Lord wants us to be. That's the kind of friend he's been to us. And listen, it's a command. Remember earlier when he said, I have commandments for you? Follow my commandments if you're my friends. He says, be an ambassador. Don't be a creditor. He says, if you won't do that, don't expect to get any grace from me. <laughs> I know I'm going to fall short this week, and I need the grace of God. I need the forgiveness of God. I need him not to remind me how much I owe him because there's no way I could pay it. If that's what I want from the Lord, that's what I have to give to people. It's hard as a Christian. It's hard as a, as a church and as a pastor. 
But all we have to do is remember who's given it to us, and then we can give it to others. Why don't we pray? Come on up, Isaiah. Friendship. (laughs) Relationships. We said earlier, man, life would be great if it wasn't for people. (laughs) But I think Jesus shows us the example that, that life is not great without the people. You know, God has always been God, and he's always had everything that he needs. He's the source of everything. He's the creator. But we must be pretty important if he'd be willing to leave heaven, come to earth, die on a cross, just so that we could go to heaven and spend eternity with him. He's not trying to separate from us. He's not trying to leave us behind. He doesn't look at us as insignificant. He says we are valuable. We are each unique. We're each special. All of us have shortcomings. All of us have sins. And he says, I know who I chose. And I have hope for you. You can be saved. You can be healed. You can be changed. You can be forgiven. You can become like me. You can be shaped into my image. When you used to hate, you can love. When you used to be selfish, you can be selfless. You too can look at other people and say, Is there anything I can do to give that person joy? Is there anything I can lay down and sacrifice so that that person would not have to go without? It's possible for us. We don't have to restrict ourselves. We don't have to restrict our relationships. We don't don't have to just have a few. He has infinite relationships because he has infinite love. He's perfectly known by the Father, so he's not worried that he's not perfectly known by each and every one of us yet. He holds out hope for us to come to know him more. We can be like the Lord. Once we're fully known by God, we can be patient with people who don't fully know us yet, who don't fully care for us yet, who won't lay themselves down for us yet. With every head bowed, with every eye closed here in this place, if you're here and you still feel like nobody really, really knows you, that can only be because you don't know the Lord yet. He says, I knew you before you were formed in the womb. I know the number of hairs on your head. I know everything that you've ever done, good or bad, and yet I love you still. He says that while you are yet a sinner, he died for you. Not when you get better, not when you change behavior. He carried the cross while you denied him, just like the disciples did. Denied that you even knew him. He says, but I know those who I've chosen. You are not here by accident. You're not here by chance. You're not here because of friends. You're not here because of family. You're here because Jesus says, I chose you. You could be anywhere today, anywhere on the planet, doing anything, but you're here. He says, I chose you. He says, now do what I command. Repent of your sins. Be forgiven. Break through, break out of death and into life. The life you're living now, 
eventually is going to end in death. But the life that he can offer you, it never ends. It's eternal life. But you have a decision that you have to make. He says, I love you enough to let you do whatever you want to do with your life. And I love you enough to let you choose whether you have salvation or not. If you're here, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's between you and the Lord. But if you want to give your life to the Lord, you want to be able to be called a friend of God, where he would speak to you everything that he's doing and why he's doing it. He says, you're not a servant, you are a friend. I'll tell you everything. But you've got to become a friend first. Earlier he said that if you're a friend of the world, you're no friend of his. You've got to choose this world and these friends or the heavenly and God. Raise your hand if that's you. You want to be a friend of God? Right where you're sitting, right where you're standing this morning. You're not saved, but you want to be anybody here in this place. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. I see you, brother. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Today's your day. Breaking up with the world, committing yourself to Christ. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Like we always do, brother, we're going to get you a Bible. We're going to get you some prayer. What a great day. What a great moment, Lord. Lord, you claim another out of the pits of hell, Lord God. Your word says that you ascended, but first you descended, Lord, to go and get all that belonged to you that the enemy, the devil, had had hold of. And you release us, Lord. You break every chain. You set us free, Lord. We thank you for this man here in this place this morning, Lord God, who was bound by the enemy, Lord, but he's set free in you, Christ, never to go back, Lord. He is known, Lord like never before, God. We thank you, allowing us to be witnesses of your power, Lord, of your truth, of your word, of what you'll do for anybody who would have you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Before we move on, anybody else? We're going to move on. Anybody else? Give your life to the Lord this morning. Thank you, Jesus. For the rest of us, if you need to be a better friend, we're going to open this altar and we're going to pray. He says that it's a spiritual thing that needs to take place, that the, the, uh, the natural or normal man cannot receive it, can't even understand it. But if you're here and you're saved, it's something you can understand. You just have to ask God for wisdom. You have to say, Lord, give me the wisdom to see what it means to be a friend. Give me the wisdom to see what it means to be like you. Give me the strength that when my flesh rises up and says I deserve better, to realize that you deserve better and you went all the way to the cross for us, Lord God. If that's you in this place this morning, you want to be a better friend, you want to choose your friends more wisely, you want to love even when you're not loved the way that you feel like you should be, would you come to the altar this morning? We're going to pray for you. We're going to believe that God will do that for you. If you're here and you really need to identify, you need God to show you the difference between acquaintances and friends, between family and friends, between coworkers and other relationships and who your true friends are. If you're looking at it because of longevity and years and blood instead of the Spirit of God saying to you, this is a friend, this is ordained by God, this is a divine relationship that needs to be cultivated, watered, pruned and cared for you may be wasting your life energy you may be wasting your time on things that God has not ordained for you but God will show you you don't get to make that decision yourself let the Lord show you hallelujah Lord Lord show us who you have for us show us what you have for us start with us Lord you say that we can't look at our brother with a speck in their eye when we have a plank in our own those who are here this morning God help them to see themselves 
for the friends that they are today and the friend that they want to be tomorrow. Give them breakthrough, Lord. Let them just be concerned with the joy and the blessings of others when they look at their relationships, when they look at their friendships, not about what they can receive or what they can take, but what they can give, how they can bless others, Lord. The world has enough takers, God. The world has enough people who are concerned with themselves, God. The world needs more people like you who are concerned with others. Let us live with compassion and not be competitive, Lord God. Let us cover the multitude of sin, Lord God. Let us protect others and love them, Lord God, instead of exposing them and taking from them, Lord. It doesn't matter who they are. Let that be our character. Let faith abide. Let hope abide. Let love abide, Lord. The greatest of these is love. Let us be men and women who love in the face of hate, who give even when we've been taken from, God who forgive even when we've been hurt. Many of those who are here this morning, Lord, we've been hurt. We've been abandoned. We've been ridiculed. We've been lied about, Lord. But it's okay. It's okay. You're our best friend, and you've never lied on us. You've never abandoned us. You've never hurt us. You've never taken anything from us. All you do is give us. Help us to forgive, Lord God. Place your spirit within us, Lord. I pray right now, God, that we would leave this place and that we would let other people go free. That we would not be creditors, but we would be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Anybody who we know, we've made them feel like they owe us something, that they left on bad terms, Lord God. Give us the strength to call them and tell them that we're sorry, that we forgive them, that their, their debts have been paid. There's no more collection. They're free. They're free, Lord God. You set us free, all the way free. All of our debts have been paid. Who are we to go to others and say, pay me what you owe? Let us let them go free, God. Remove all those burdens, Lord God. All those debts. Paid in full, God. Paid in full. Paid in full, Lord. Give us breakthrough. Make us better friends. Send men and women of God to be iron, sharpening iron. Let them rub up against us, God. We know that it hurts to be changed. We know that it hurts to be transformed, but it's your desire and your will for our lives, God. We thank you, Lord, that we can be considered friends of God. We thank you, Lord. Lord, for every son, for every daughter here in this place, Lord, here at your altar, Father God, Give them breakthrough. Let them be the friend that they always wanted. Let them be in relationship with others who are seeking after you on how to grow and how to change, Lord God. Let them be witnesses in the world of what's possible. Protect them as they go, Lord Jesus. Meet their needs, Father God.
thank you for listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.